Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Well, today, I'm going to be sharing a message that has been playing back through my mind all week long, and really for a couple weeks. Interestingly, it's a message I've preached actually at Vivid Church before, and we we focused on this topic actually. <clears throat> I'm going to start again here, Amanda. You're the editor, right? So just so you know, this is no worries, a double start. I don't need to double click. I'll just start again. Today, I want to share a message with you that I actually preached at Vivid a few weeks before we launched our New West location and our Kitsilano location. It's been running through my mind for weeks now, and I feel like it's the right time to bring the same topic up again. This story from Scripture that really defines in many ways how I'm looking at the season that we're in as a church right now. And I don't know how long this season is going to be, and I really have felt like we've never not been in this particular season as a church who God is calling us to be. This message, if you're taking notes, is entitled All In. I'm challenging us today, let's be all in. As we enter into the summer, let's be all in. Now, if you're taking notes, I don't want you to write all in like A-L-L-I-N. That's normal. I want you to write it this way, all in, and the word in spelled I-N-N. Let's pray and then I'm going to tell you why. Jesus, thank you so much for this time we share together. I ask that you take these next few moments and the words that I speak, though they'll be imperfect and flawed, I ask that you'd inspire them by your spirit, illuminate what you're trying to say to your church. And today, I ask that we would be focused in on what you're focused in on. In your name. Amen. So Jesus, he he's traveling around, he interacts with people, and, and typically as he does, he, he uses and employs story to answer questions. And in this one particular instance, there's a story that comes that is quoted and requoted, told and retold. And, and if you're new to church, even you may have heard some references to this story that you say, I didn't know that's where it came from, but now I understand. This story is in the book of Luke, chapter 10. And on this particular occasion, it says on one occasion, this verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus answers his question with a question, which is just, Jesus is just that way. He answers it this way, well, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then replies, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my Neighbor, And I get a sense that at this point, the, this teacher of the law, he almost did a little mic drop. He's like, there you go. Ever thought of that, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? It's interesting what, what's taking place here. This teacher of the law is not a lawyer. It's not like a teacher in the judicial law. This is a, a uh, expert or a scholar in the religious laws of the time. At that point in time, the Jewish faith had expanded to include about 600 rules, meaning this man was an expert of all 600 of those rules. Now, it was Jesus who had answered not that far before when someone asked what's the most important commandment. It was Jesus who said the most important commandment is this. And then he answered with two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That was a Jesus teaching. Now, I believe that that 
expert in the law, had heard Jesus teach that, and he thought to himself, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to ask Jesus the same question, but I'm going to add my own nuance. I'm going to add my own little thing to test him by saying, who is your neighbor? I feel like he he went in, he was that kid in class who knows the answer to the question before they ask it, hoping that they can have a moment where the teacher of the class says, wow, good job, you read ahead in this biology textbook. It was that kind of an astute moment. The Bible specifically said he was trying to test Jesus in the law. I love that Jesus is unfazed by this. And sometimes, you know, you and I, we can, we can become familiar with scripture. We can become familiar with what we think God is calling us to. And as a result, we end up approaching Jesus only with a cognitive, scholastic type of approach. We look at the Bible with skeptical eyes, trying to, to figure out how we can avoid actually living it out. Or we look at the Bible to look for, for, uh, inconsistencies or or ways that we can kind of dodge having to respond. This particular expert in the law was saying to Jesus, I'm a pro. I've got all the 600 memorized and I took notes and listened and highlighted my textbook where you said the most important ones were love the Lord your God and with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But who's my neighbor? Jesus then answers this story or this question with a story. And uh, it's an interesting story and maybe one that you've heard, but let me read it to you. Verse 30, Jesus said this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan was traveling. He came to where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured out oil and wine, and then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. What a great story. See, Jesus is saying, instead of me defining for you the tenets of what makes a neighbor, let me explain to you what it feels like when you experience neighborly behavior. Let me let me tell you and give you a picture of what it feels like to have a neighbor interact with you. He says a man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now if you lived in that time you'd know Jerusalem was up on a hill, Jericho was down in a valley, and uh, and it was a, a common highway, a road that went from one to the other. So this man was on a journey somewhere and partway there, halfway there on that highway, he was robbed. And he was left in a vulnerable state. It says of of that, uh, it wasn't just that he was robbed. It says he was robbed and he was stripped and he was beaten and he was left half dead. This is a pretty desperate circumstance. This man was in a bad sort of way. And then he says, now a hero came along. Now this is what they would have heard. A priest came along. And everybody, all the teachers of the law would have been like, oh yeah, a priest. Those guys are awesome. That that priest, he definitely will do the right thing. But the priest, he sees the man and actually continues to walk by. It's interesting because the priest would have been the top of the top expert of the law. The priest actually represented the embodiment of the law. But the, the law actually sometimes just passes problems by. The law isn't necessarily neighborly. Why? Because the law doesn't require someone to be neighborly. And so the priest 
probably was busy, probably had reasons to be somewhere else, and certainly had an excuse to not stop more important things. You see, the law doesn't actually express care. And then a Levite came, and a Levite was not quite a priest, but still pretty good. A Levite was still actively involved in the service of the law being fulfilled. The the Levite came along and had the very same response, just passed on by. In fact, it indicates maybe the priest actually went out of his way to avoid the man, where the Levite just sort of passed him by. Interestingly, in both of these instances, someone who had the position and maybe had the opportunity to be the hero of the story was certainly not the hero of the story. They used the excuse of the law to avoid actually getting their hands dirty. And I think it's possible for us to do the same. Like, I kind of think the internal dialogue for the priest might have been, well, I don't know how you got yourself in there. Maybe you deserved it. I don't know how you found yourself beaten and and stripped and, and left half naked and half dead. Maybe you did something to deserve it. And because I don't know all the facts, because I have not yet learned all of the scenario, I don't know if it's my place to really interact. Perhaps the Levite was balancing out the responsibilities he had that day and said, honestly, the responsibilities of what I'm going to do for others are more important than this particular moment. And then Jesus brings up a Samaritan. Now, when he says Samaritan, nobody in the crowd hears this is the hero of the story. They all probably begin to mutter to themselves because at that time, the racial prejudice that existed between Samaritans and Jews was prevalent. There were rules and laws put into place to segregate their cultures so they didn't have to interact. These were not groups of people that spent any time together. In fact, normally for a Jewish person, when they were traveling, uh, to the other side of Samaria, they would go around it rather than through it because it was just not something that you did. There was no connection between those two cultures. So when Jesus says a Samaritan, people are going, well, we know this guy's not the hero. This was the the antithesis for them all. This was the guy that, that nobody cared about. He was despised. And Jesus says, interestingly, the Samaritan actually expressed what it was to be a neighbor. What did he do? First, it says he came to where the man was. One of the the important pieces of what makes a neighbor, and one of the things I want you to write down today if you're taking notes, is a neighbor neighbor practices closeness. Closeness. A neighbor actually draws near. In our world right now, there is pain taking place. In our world right now, there are people in our city, in our culture, in our society, maybe even in the place we live, in the building we live in, there's people in pain. And a neighbor draws close to pain. Closeness is part of what it is to be a neighbor. Number two, not only does this Samaritan draw close to the man who was left in a terribly vulnerable state, but he also expresses care for him. The Bible says he had pity on him. He cared. It's possible to get close to a situation and not care. It's possible to actually look into a scenario that leaves certain people oppressed, look into a scenario that leaves people feeling less than or people feeling vulnerable, get really close and then say, I still don't care. But a neighbor cares. A neighbor doesn't just draw near. A neighbor cares. I found it's pretty hard to care at a distance. The closer you get is when the decision comes, will I actually show some care? And not only does he care, but he acts. Because isn't it possible to feel some emotion and put no action to it? I know I have. I know there's been times where I say I care about something, but then 
You could push back and say, well, where was the action to show that you did? Jesus says this Samaritan not only draws near closeness, not only expresses the empathy of care, but puts action to it. He takes his own oil, his own wine, his own bandages. He puts the man on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn and he cares for him there. You see, a neighbor has closeness, a neighbor has care, but also thirdly, a neighbor is committed. I think what, what the church needs to be more than ever right now is not only just close to pain, not only just caring about pain, but committed to doing something about that pain. Jesus, he tells this incredible story of, of what it is to be a neighbor. He goes, this is what it feels like when you meet a neighbor. Interestingly, I think this is the story of humanity. We, in this story, we're not the priest. In this story, we're not the Levite. And in this story that we might like to be the hero, we're not even the Samaritan. In this story, we're the man who was robbed. Each one of us, humanity, this is our story. We are the one who has been robbed. Jerusalem represents the grace of God. And we're on our way from God's grace, trying to find our way. Some you could say today, I know what it feels like to be on a journey. I'm on a journey as well. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the Bible says in the book of John. So on our way to where we're trying to go, to understanding life, to living in the fullness of, of what life could be, we've been robbed. And not only have we been robbed, we've been, he, he steal, kill, and destroy. What does he He robbed, he stripped, he beat, and he left half, half dead. See, that is the story of humanity. We are the robbed one. We are the beaten one. We are the down one. You say, well, I haven't personally been robbed. This is not necessarily talking literally. This is the figurative feeling of what it is. We are all absolutely lost and broken in our sin. And the law walks by and the law says, I don't have to do anything about that. You see, that that's, that's the, the truth of just the rules. The law doesn't save us. Grace does. And so the law not only once but twice walks by and says, not my problem. I, I don't have to do anything about this. In fact, the Bible says this, that the law is impossible. To, it has is powerless, I should say, to bring us to salvation. Salvation is found in nobody else, and there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except for the name of Jesus. And Jesus, in this story, is our neighbor. He's the despised Samaritan. Do you know why people dislike Jesus the most? It wasn't his miracles. It wasn't actually like the thing that they they threw shade at him for was not his teaching, it's not his miracles. There's maybe some underlying motive there, but the real thing that bothered them was the friends he kept, the people he interacted with. It was, Jesus, how could you be God's son? You chose disciples who don't even wash their hands before they eat. They break the rules. Jesus, why would you be at this wedding where people are getting drunk everywhere? There's no way you're God's son. These people are breaking the rules. Jesus, why would you be friends with prostitutes? Are you somehow endorsing their behavior by your friendship? And Jesus, who was always the friend of sinners, and is always okay to be despised for people that he loves. He's the Samaritan in this story. Amazingly, if this is the story of humanity going from God's grace on a journey, trying to figure out life, being robbed on the way by the enemy of our soul through temptations and trials and, 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 and painful circumstances and abuses and oppression, we have experienced this 
brokenness. The law does nothing. The law passes us by over and over. The rules and regulations make no difference. Some of us expect systems will come and make life better for us, but it won't be legalistic systems. It will be people empowered by the grace of God who come alongside and they draw near, they draw close, they express care, and then they actually put some commitment into what they care about. Amazingly, the Samaritan has everything he needs. Isn't that cool? The exact bandages that he needed, the exact amount of oil and wine. The Bible says this, that God's grace is sufficient for us. In our weakness, God, his power does the best work. I love this. That means that Jesus has everything he needs for your problem. And you say, well, I'm in this problem for a different situation. I I got robbed for a different reason. Jesus has everything that he needs to care for your problem. And mine, all my problems unique. My experience is unique. You don't know my pain until you know my experience. But, but Jesus has enough grace for my pain and your pain. Enough grace for my wounds and your wounds. Enough, enough mercy to bring healing to us all. Jesus, he pours out his own oil and wine. That's his anointing and his power and his blood shed for our sins. He expresses care. He binds up our wounds and then he puts the man on his donkey. This is a picture of Jesus bearing the weight for us. Imagine this Samaritan, despised as he was, having no reason to have to show care, no legal reason why he had to. It's just the outpouring of his grace, noticing a person in desperate situation and doing something about it. This neighborly Samaritan. He said, here, you take my place and I'll take yours. I will walk, you ride. It's essentially Jesus saying, I got you. I mean, if Jesus were to hashtag our lives, I think I would be, I got you. I got you. In your weakness, I got you. In your brokenness, I got you. In your sickness, I got you. In your sin, I got you. In your habit, I got you. In your addiction, I got you. In your pain, I got you. In your flaw, I got you. In your blind spot, I got you. His grace is sufficient for us. So he takes this man with care and he takes him to an inn and he spends his time and invests into him. And if the story ends there, I say, great story. If the story ends there, I'm like, that is a good enough, sufficient enough story to describe what neighborly uh, interaction should look like and feel like. That was enough for the teacher and the expert of the law who did his mic drop moment, who's my neighbor? Jesus already told enough to that man to explain that he did not know what he was talking about. But then for some reason, Jesus expands a little bit. For some reason, there's no interaction of what the Samaritan said to the man who had been left beaten and, and, and naked and half dead. There, there's no interaction of what they actually said. Just you see the care. Sometimes you know that, that, that words are, are insufficient, but care is expressed. So he shows this care. But then he goes on and says just a couple more sentences. The story doesn't end there. It actually says what he interacts with the innkeeper about. Well, let me show you. It says this. He brought the man, he kept him in his care. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. That was two days wage. Sometimes it inflated or deflated depending on economy, but it always represented a day's wage. So he took out two days wage and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus says to the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go do likewise. You know, right now, Jesus is calling you and I. 
He's saying, you know what it feels like to be the abused one. This is the story of my salvation from your sin. You know what it feels like to be the recipient of grace. You know what it feels like to have oil and wine poured out. You know what it feels like to have your place taken and not me, me take yours and you take mine. It's, you know what it feels like for me to say, I got you. Now go do that to other people. Don't take the liberty you've been given and then turn into the priest or the Levite who says, not my job, not my rule, not my place, not my position. In fact, put yourself in that position. Come on, Vivid Church, let's be neighbors. Let's, let's draw close. Let's show care. Let's express commitment to people in our world who are broken and hurting and in pain. Those who are suffering from oppression. Those who are, are, are getting the bad end of systems that leave them on the side of the road. Let's, let's show some care. But if in this story... We are the robbed one, and Jerusalem's the grace of God, and Jericho's the journey we're on, and this, this highway, like life is a highway, as the, the song says, and the, the devil has been the one who robbed us, and the priest and the Levite are the law, and Jesus is the Samaritan, and the donkey is the cross. What's the inn? What's the inn represent? The inn represents the church. The inn is the place that God brings broken people. The inn is the place that Jesus entrusts the care of those who he has saved. We are called to be the inn. When I read this story, maybe you're the same. I I, want to make myself the hero. Do you ever want to do that? You read stories and you see yourself as the primary character. But the story of the gospel is always that Jesus is the hero. We're the supporting role. Even my own life story. I'm a supporting cast member. Jesus is the hero of my life story and of yours. Jesus is calling us as a church to be the inn. To be the place where he can bring broken, hurting people and know that they will be cared for. Vivid Church, we're an inn. That's why we have locations across the city. That's why right now in lockdown, we're not saying, how can we just all stick together and care? But we're saying, how can we have an outward focus? How can we initiate house parties? How can we be reaching other cultures? How can we be translating into other languages? How can we be active in issues of justice? How can we be active in giving generously to those who are hurting from COVID-19 across the world? How can we play a part because we're the in we're the place that jesus brings broken hurting people to be brought back to care if you know what it feels like to be the robbed one aspire with me let's be the innkeepers with the heart of the samaritan yes the heart of the one who cares actively but let's stick with it let's be about it let's be all in. So let me tell you three things about, about this innkeeper. Number one, the inn has a proximity to pain. The church is called to be where pain is at. The inn was a new concept in that time, and it, it was new in this, that they were positioned always by a highway. It was just a small home. It was a humble place, but it was always by the highway because it was on the highway where people fell into the hands of robbers. The church is called to be where pain's at. When there is a story of pain happening in our world, the church is called to be first responders. We will always position ourselves in the proximity to pain. I have people all the time trying to ask me the political view of our church. Where does this church stand politically? Here's our political view. People. I care about people. And more than anything, I care about people who are in pain. Because that's what the church is called to be. 
If the church is not in proximity of pain, it's only a social club. I mean, it might be fun. It might be comfortable. It's just not church. Church is called to be in the proximity of pain. Number two, it's in that place that we are given a permission to care. Look at what the Samaritan says to the innkeeper. I'm going right now. You take care of him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you. And imagine if the innkeeper's like, well, well, hold a sec. What did he do to get in this situation? And Jesus says, care for him. Yeah, but he, did he did he have it coming? Care for him. Hold up. Did he deserve it, though? Care for him. What's his backstory? Care for him. What's it going to cost me? Care for him. How do I know when he's going to be better? Care for him. Like, like the permission to care is the call that Jesus gives the church. Let's be the innkeepers who actually show care in a proximity to pain, but also with the permission to care. And then lastly, he says this. I'm going to leave you a little bit. But when I get back, I got you. I'll reimburse you. That's why I have no problem as a pastor. I have no problem as the leader of Vivid Church asking us to be committed to a personal cost. Why? Because the Bible promises this, that we will, like, that God will be indebted to no one. It's impossible to outgive God. Why will we be generous even in a pandemic? Because Jesus has called us to invest personal cost into this thing. He says, you invest what's yours, and when I return, I will reimburse you. The church will always have an outflow of generosity. We will always have a call to do more than we could possibly fund. There are dreams for our city that I have no idea how we'll finance, but we will invest our personal cost. We will put our own resource forward. Why? Because we're the in. And we're called to be all in, in a proximity to pain, with a permission to care, and a call to personal cost. You know, my daughter Sophie, we have seven kids, but, but she particularly, she, she's perceptive to this really unique thing, random facts. All the time. She's like, hey dad, you want to know a random fact? And I'm like, did you go to a website of random facts? She's like, no, I just heard it. It's amazing that, that they can all be around the same environment, but she has ears to hear something specific. And I wonder, Vivid Church, for you and I, we're in the midst of a painful time. Racial injustice evident in the world around us. People in economic crisis due to a pandemic. And and then lonely people all around us. Hurting, broken people. People stuck in sin, stuck in addiction, stuck in habit. I wonder if we have ears to hear them. I wonder if we have perception to see what's happening around us. Jesus is calling you and I to be the, the good neighbors. Can I pray with you right now? Maybe right here today, you say, I feel like the robbed one. I'm on the side of the street. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need, I need to be cared for. Well, there's no one like Jesus. He has exactly the, the, the oil, the wine, the bandages. He'll take your burden. He'll show you care. And this is a safe place for you to continue to be cared for. We're going to walk this out together, but it begins with receiving salvation. Let me pray for you. Pray a simple prayer like this in faith. Jesus, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for drawing near. Thank you for caring. Thank you for your commitment. Today I repent and I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. If that's you today, as the end, we're going to walk this thing out with you. Let us know. Raise your hand in the chat. Let us know. We want to walk this out. We want to continue to express the care of Jesus. And for all of us, vivid, we are the end. So let me pray for all of us. Jesus, as your people, 
Help us to engage and invest in being in proximity to pain, not turning a blind eye, but drawing near. May we not just see, but care. May we not just care, but put some commitment into it. We receive your permission to care, and we hear your call to a personal investment of cost. I pray in this season that we will grow more and more. In Jesus' name. Vivid, I, I love you. I love who God's called us to be. We're not going to just ride this season out. This is not a summer where we just get all close together. This is a summer we're going to be drawing near to pain. We're going to be going close to where people are hurting and doing something to express care. You say, well, what if I'm endorsing their behavior? Jesus, he was a friend to everyone. He showed love to those who thought differently and acted differently because that's what neighbors do. Let's be those people. Right now, I know we started the service this way. We had that incredible song that our team wrote, our first ever song as a church, and and then Graves in the Gardens. Oh, I love that song. But we do have one more song for you from conference. We're going to end today in worship. We're going to end today big. So why don't we sing it out together? And then next week, we dive into the Proverbs together. We are growing in wisdom together as a church. I love you so much. I'll see you Thursday night at team night. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.